this is Doug Beecham. Thank you for joining me as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews. We are now in our fifth podcast of the book of Hebrews. And keep in mind, we're looking at how the writer of Hebrews uh, is using specific Old Testament texts and he uses those texts in relationship to who Jesus is as, as Jesus is the one who, who is the fulfillment of all that Torah and the prophets and the writings look forward to. Uh, last week, we finished up looking at chapter 2 of Hebrews. Now we're going to begin to look at chapter 3. Please keep in mind that Hebrews 3 builds upon the Old Testament theme that was introduced in 2.17. If you, if you listen to that again, whereby in all things uh, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation or propitiation for the sins of the people. That, that this theme introduced in 2.17 uh, continues now with the reference to the high priest. Remember that in Hebrews 2, there in chapter 2, verse 9, it's there that we see Jesus as we live in and with the reality of a sin-cursed world. But we live with the ultimate victory that's foretold in Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. We live in between the times, but we live with the knowledge that we see Jesus. I want you to think about that for a few more minutes. How encouraging it is to know that in between the times, it is Jesus that we see. He's the one who in, in, in two nine is the one who tasted death for everyone. By taking on our sin and curse of death, Jesus has also taken our shame. You remember last week we talked about that in, in Hebrews 2.11, that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. As a reminder, I want you to notice again from Hebrews 2 what it is that we see in Jesus. Number one, we see the one who suffered for us and tasted death for us. Number two, we see the one crowned with glory and honor in the heavenly places. Number three, we see the one who is the manifestation of the grace of God. Four, we see the one who's not ashamed of us. Five, we see the one who's destroyed the devil and the power of death. Six, we see the one who's released us from lifelong bondage of the power of death. And seven, we see the one who gives aid to the children of Abraham, that is, the, the people of faith. Eight, we see the one made in all things like us, that is, we see the reality of the incarnation. Nine, we see the one who's a merciful and faithful high priest. Ten, we see the one who makes propitiation or reconciliation for sins. Eleven, we see the one who endured temptation and is able to aid us who were tempted. This is where uh, in chapter 3, it tells us we see Jesus as the apostle and the high priest of our confession of faith. We're able to make this confession because we're partakers of the heavenly calling. The heavenly calling views the world from the standpoint of eternity and views it as a victory guaranteed by the victory of Christ. This is similar to the Apostle Paul's theology that's expressed in Colossians 1, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where Paul said, If then you are raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. What an amazing thing it is when the Holy Spirit helps us to see ourselves seated in heavenly places. Uh, that kind of expression Paul uses in, in, uh, in Ephesians, that as we see ourselves seated in heavenly places with, Greece, with Jesus, we see the world differently. We don't just see it through the, through the lens of social media or network news or what's happening around us. We see it through the lens of eternity. Through the Holy Spirit and the testimony of the faithful, we are able to view Jesus not only as the suffering servant, but as the apostle and high priest. As the apostle, Jesus is the one sent as the messenger of God. Jesus is the ambassador of the kingdom of God, who's come to announce God's reign over the kingdoms of this earth. As the high priest, in continuity with Hebrews 2, Jesus is the one who is the sacrifice, and he is the one who offers the sacrifice of himself for the sake of the world. Notice that Jesus holds two offices. He holds the office of apostle, and he holds the office of high priest. And verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 says, He does this as he was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus then, in the next verses, is compared to Moses as Moses was also faithful in God's house. Then the comparison moves to a greater dimension, including a contrast with Moses. I want, us to, I want you to stay with me as we, as we sort of live in these verses for a few minutes now. Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Do you see that in chapter 3, verse 3? He, this, this is because of an analogy from architecture. The one who built the house has more honor than the house itself. I want you to think about it. Uh, those of you that have ever experienced house hunting and uh, you, you're looking for a place where you're going to live or you're thinking about who's a builder to build a house for you, you view a house, you, you ask, who built this house? If the builder has a good reputation, then we have a greater desire for the house. Or, or, or you, you bought a piece of land and you want to build a house there and you go and you check out who are the best builders? It's because they have a reputation. They are greater than even the house that is built. This, this is the analogy that's going on here. The builder of the house in this comparison in Hebrews chapter 3 is God himself. It's because God, in verse 4, God built all things. Notice that this little phrase takes us back to, create, to creation theology and the reality that in the beginning, God. Have you noticed already how often the writer of Hebrews keeps running back to creation? Uh, we're going to see that again later in chapter 3. We're going to see it some more in chapter 4 of, of Hebrews. The comparison contrast with Moses and Jesus continued in verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant. This is pretty interesting because this is not the usual word for servant, diakonia. Uh, we get our word deacon from that. Uh, rather, it's, 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 a, it's a different Greek word. It's a word therapon. 
Vaughn's New Testament word study shows that this word is related to therapuo, a word that means to heal, someone who served, someone who was an attendant with you. It's a word that denotes servanthood based on dignity and freedom. Cleon Rogers Jr. in uh, his New Testament linguistic and exegetical key to the Greek New Testament wrote this about this word. He said the word therapon, that's, let me spell it for you, T-H-E-R-A-P-O-N. That's that's sort of a transliteration of it in Greek. Uh, Rogers wrote this, the word suggests a personal service freely rendered. It denotes both the willing service rendered as well as the relationship between the one serving and the one served. Cockerell, whose commentary I've uh, been using as a primary resource here, uh, he connected this description of Moses to the Septuagint translation of Numbers 12:7, where Moses is described with the same Greek word therapon. In this case, it translated the Hebrew word amen. That word, which is literally translated, uh, transliterated, it has the sense of, of someone or something that's established, a pillar, someone who is faithful. I want you to think about this analogy because it helps us see the sense of honor that's operating in this particular uh, Greek word for servant. For instance, if you meet someone, here's the analogy, if you meet someone who served your governor, your senator, or your president, uh, that's an honor that they've served with, uh, with served in such capacity. Uh, we might meet them and, and they tell us in conversation or someone introduces us and they say, this is, uh, this, is, uh, this is Jane Doe and she has served with the governor uh, in, a, in a particular position. And often our response to that person would be, it's, it, it's an honor to meet you, and the honor is because of who they have served with. But notice, while that word is used about Moses in relationship to God's house, and it is a word of honor, that honor pales in comparison to Jesus because Jesus is faithful as the Son over God's house. That's the point of Hebrews 5.3. Moses served over God's house, that is, the Jewish people, as a servant, and he did it as a testimony, a witness of someone and something that was greater. Uh, this is why the conclusion of this in verse 6 of Hebrews 3.6 is important for us because here the writer tells us that we are this house if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Keep in mind now, and this is really important for us, there's really not two houses. There's not one house for Moses and another house from God. There's one house. This is why the writer says, we are this house. It shows the continuity of the divine call and the purpose to Israel and its connection to the people of God through faith in Christ. Jew and Gentile are not two separate churches, two separate bodies, but one body in Christ. And, and this is the point Paul is making in Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 18. 
the writer of Hebrews does not see a discontinuity between God's redeeming work, God's calling work through Abraham, through Israel, uh, to what God did through his son Jesus and what the church is meant to be. He's going to come back to this again in chapter 4. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you'll join me next week as we continue in number 6 of our study of the book of Hebrews. God bless you.